West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspel. Uh, we got uh, a lot to talk about tonight from uh, men's and women's basketball to uh, some news off the gridiron. And of course, uh, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the uh, national championship game uh, this past Monday. I'm uh, actively L- trying to figure out how to spell scuzz with E-U-A-X. <laughs> E-A-U-X. I don't know. It's still a work uh, in progress. Well, we, we've got a little bit of time before the end of the episode for you to, to workshop that. So, uh, you know, by the time we get to final thoughts, maybe you'll have it worked out. I don't know how you do scuzz. I know how you do scow's bow. That one's, that one's, that one's <laughs> yes. a layup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a no-brainer. Um, but yeah, hell of a game between LSU and Clemson, uh, on Monday. We'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, but first we should probably talk Northwestern hoops. Um, start with the ladies, uh, cause they've just been playing great ball and continue to play great ball. And, you know, it seems like every episode we're talking about how great the ladies are playing. Um, coming off a good week this past week, uh, winning at Minnesota last Thursday, 56 54. And then on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, uh, beating Purdue, uh, 61-56. Uh, two close games. I know that, uh, Purdue game was probably closer than it should have been. Um, but, uh, you know, com- coming away with the W, um, you, before we hit play, we were looking at the, the AP rankings and we're dismayed to see that we dropped up from 26th to 27th in the polls. But, you know, it, whatever. We're, we're still just right there knocking on the door and, um, you know, this Thursday night's game at Indiana, if we can come away with a W there, we'll, we will definitely be ranked uh, come next Sunday. So something that's, I think, meaningful about both of these games, um, and I watched Purdue, uh, or at least the end of Purdue. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see much of the Minnesota game, but um, Lindsey Pulliam did not have a great shooting game either game, right? Um, against Minnesota, she did well from the foul line, but not so great from the floor, only 25% overall, 0 for 2 from 3. Against Purdue, it was much tougher. Um, she was 2 of 19. She's only 10 points, 4 of 8 from the free throw line. I think teams are, for good reason, really focusing on her, fouling her a fair amount. Um, you know, she had six turnovers against Minnesota. Uh, like, She's far and away our best player, and other teams are targeting her. And last year in those situations, that formula equaled losses for Northwestern. And in both of these games, other players, particularly uh, Abby Wolf, stepped up. Uh, and uh, Sorry, is it Abby Wolf? Yeah, it was Ab- Abby Wolf. Yeah, Ab- Abby uh, Wolf against, against uh, Purdue and um, Abby Scheid against, uh, against Minnesota, um, both of them scoring 24 points. And that that's that's something that you know um, I think uh, Akpana last year uh, on occasion was able to step up like that. Occasionally you'd get a big scoring night from Burton, but if if Pullian was shut down, that was usually a bad sign for Northwestern. And the fact that the Cats have both the defense and the secondary offensive players to um, pick Lindsay up when when she gets contained or has a tough night shooting that's that's huge for this team. Absolutely. And I mean, it's Pulliam, I mean, you're being kind, but she, you know, particularly the the second game was, was really rough. And it's funny. I was 
thinking if this was football, we'd be waiting for Fitz to casually drop in a midweek press conference that her hand had been broken for like three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, but, you know, this happens. And I think she talked about it after the Minnesota game. She was like, look, you know, she gave a quote, something along the line, not quite the cliche, but a shoot or shoot kind of thing. We're basically being like, look, I, you know, I'm a high volume. Like I'm going to shoot until it corrects itself. Like I, you know, you just keep trying to work your way out of it, which totally makes sense. But to your point, Shiden Wolf picking up the, picking up the slack is really big. The other thing too, and again, this is more nebulous and hard to quantify, but Northwestern did a pretty poor job of protecting leads in both of these games. I mean, what happened, what happened at the end of the Purdue game, you could call an outright collapse and um, you know, and you know, Burton missed a couple big free throws, et cetera. And, and that's rough, but it's important to realize that, you know, we pulled wins out of both of these games. You're going to have games like this. And there's that certain like magical je ne sais quoi aspect of a great season where a bunch of these games come down in your favor. And obviously I'm thinking about the men's tourney bid when I think about that. I mean, obviously we all remember the Michigan game, but there were some close games there that could have gone both ways that went Northwestern's way that ended up being really crucial for us down the stretch. And the women are getting those. And, you know, it's it's funny. I almost wonder the extent to which all the people who are, you know, the AP who are voting these, a lot of women's basketball writers taking their job very seriously, tracking women's hoops really closely and saying like, you know what? We still feel like we need to see just a little bit more from Northwestern because of the nature of these two wins. I would disagree. I would say on the body of our resume. And I think Sam, you pointed out the cats have, what's the RPI right now? Um, uh, 16. Yeah. So on the strength of RPI, we clearly should well be in the top 25 but you can see that people are being like look you know these last couple of games northwestern frittered away some leads their star player was a little off um and we're looking for a little bit more but on the flip side you could read that as Lindsay pulliam ain't gonna stay down for long and while she's been we've still been chalking up wins and if we get a vintage pulliam taking a trip tomorrow night down to bloomington um, that may get us the the win that would just absolutely rubber stamp this season and rubber stamp the cats in the top twenty five. Yeah, I mean, so th- this this Indiana game is is you know not only for prop uh, probable ranking, but you know it's also for first place in the Big Ten. I mean, uh, to this point, you know the only team to have beaten Indiana this year is Iowa, and they're the only team to have beaten us in the conference as well. So. Um, each looking at one conference loss so far. And, uh, you know, th- this will go a long way. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, getting great production out of the Abbeys is huge, uh, especially when, as you guys have mentioned, if they're shutting down uh, Pulliam, that, that's really big to, to be able to go inside uh, to Wolf and Shide and, and get some production there is, is massive. And, like, they both bring some size. And if, if you can't, you know, if you can't defend it inside, you know, you, you go inside to Wolfenscheid and that brings the defense down and maybe that opens some things up for, for Pulliam or Burton, um, you know, if, if, they, if the case may be that way. 
Well, so here's what I like about this matchup for Northwestern. Um, so, I mean, to start, Indiana is is in tops in the conference in both offense and, and defense relatively. So they're not number one, but they're, you know, in the top four. So is Maryland. So there's no reason that the Cats can't play with and beat this team. Um, they uh, what, what Indiana is really good at, their overall field goal per- shooting percentage is spectacular. It's it's one thousandth of a point off of uh, off of Iowa. However, those field goals are generally two pointers. They are tenth in three point field goal percentage, which wow. I feel like is generally Northwestern's weakness is defending the three. I think the 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 Blizzard defense, uh, the size of the Abbeys, like Sam, you were just talking about how how that could could pay dividends for us on the offensive side. I think that pays great dividends for us on the defensive side in terms of matching up with Indiana. Uh, the, the other interesting point, Indiana has a really good three point defense. Like they're second in the, in the conference in a three point um, defensive percentage, which also portends some opportunity for, for Lindsay to, to get those, um, those nice, those nice pull up jumpers uh, that she likes to do uh, inside the arc. So, I, I think there's some some possibility here for the Cats. Um, Indiana's a little bit of a of, a, of an edge rebounding wise uh, over Northwestern. Northwestern's actually last in the conference offensively on rebounds, but but you know middle middle of the pack on D. Uh, so I like this is a good this is a good matchup. It's going to be fun. Um, I I feel really good about Northwestern's chances. This is this is at Indiana. Yes. 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 Yeah. So I mean that's that's obviously. Um, a hiccup, but the Cats have, have don't you know they won at Minnesota. Um, they won. They destroyed Illinois on the road, like b- beating Duke on the road. These these are not necessarily easy places to to win either. So, um, it's really excited to see what the Cats can do uh, on Thursday night. Uh, transitioning to the the men's squad, um, actually, you know, positive news. We got a, we got a W in the conference, and you know, there was definitely some question about that. But uh, yeah, yeah, we got a we got a pause at like roughly two months ago. We were we were worried about both the football team and the men's basketball team winning any conference games, um, and thankfully both have have come through. Yeah, beating Nebraska sixty two fifty seven last Saturday, and then. Um, Tuesday against Iowa, just getting shellacked seventy five sixty two. Although know, that that game, I mean, they just it, they ran it, out of that, gas. It, that game got away late, um, yeah. and you know, kind of got away with Luca Garza for Iowa. Just decided to go ham and just you know took the game over. Yeah, so it's comparing the two games is interesting because in both games, um, I think the easiest way to, to sum it up is Iowa's just a significantly better team than Nebraska. Like, not to get deep into the analytics on you, but the you know I say that only because in both situations, um, Iowa played four guards just about the entire game around Garza and went Duke-style inside-outside, and Nebraska plays four guards, but that's because they have a really screwed-up lineup. We talked about it last pod, the inverse of Northwestern's situation, where they've got too many guards, not enough forwards, and they don't really know what to do. And I think, you know, we proved that Nebraska and Northwestern are the two worst teams in the conference. They have the overall better record and and have pulled one more conference win than us, but you saw the head-to-head game, any of you who watched it, and were right in line with that team or uh, better than them. The difference, one, Iowa's got more talent, obviously. Well, well, 
well, like, let's pause. Garza's the number seven leading scorer in the nation. Right. So, and, and tops in the Big Ten. Right. And, I mean, it reminds me of kind of Carlos Boozer at Duke. I mean, they're not the same kind of player. I mean, I mean, same, you know, the same idea. Garza's massive. Um, 6'11", um, whatever. But the same idea, right? You have a guy in a post. You put four guards around him. And it's... A situation where, again, we've talked about it, and especially early on in this game, we were texting about it, and there is this mad science thing where if you're a Northwestern fan and all you care about is the wins and losses, and if that's true, I don't blame you for it, um, that's that's one thing, and, and it's rough to see a team that clearly is going to take L after L in the conference season. From just a mad science basketball perspective, there's a lot of fascination that goes into rooting with this Northwestern team. Right now, we're basically playing one guard. Um, Ryan Greer played 14 minutes in the Iowa game, the game before, I think, Nebraska. He played even less than that. Um, eight minutes with eight, nothing eight, but eight, two assists and a turnover to show for it. Right. And so it's basically Pat Spencer. That's our guard until Boo Booey well, comes and, back. And, and A.J. Turner. We're basically playing well, A.J. Turner as a guard. But Well, right. But again, we talked about like last season and yeah. just yeah, – A.J. Turner ain't a guard. And even a guy like Miller Kopp, who's able – got some slash and kick to his game, um, is, is also – you know, he's not a guard either. He's a true three. And it is so weird and wild to watch what we're attempting to do. And, I mean, just to watch early on in this game – the thing that kept Northwestern in the game indirectly was the fact that as one might expect, if things go according to form when the other team, I mean, Iowa for most of the game, yes, they had a guy in the middle who was um, what? six eleven Garza. Most of the rest of the game, they had four guys out on the court, not one over six, five. And then you put us, I think we're one of the tallest teams in the nation in mm-hmm. terms of like the starting yeah. five that we put out on the floor and second chance points. We absolutely dominated at Iowa's and when Iowa was on offense, they shot the lights out all game, but when they missed, they never got the board. And on the other end, when we missed a shot, we got a rebound 50% of the time well, for about three-fifths of the game. And that's what kept us within five or six points. Because the bottom line is, Iowa had four guards uh, around this guy, like Scott said, lead, one of the leading scorers in the country. Four guards who were raining threes. Guards not named Garza, who hit three on his own. hit The rest of the guards hit seven threes. And were about 50% shooting. And that was just space. None of those guys offensively, they could get around all our guys. They just, we don't have... Guys that can guard guards outside of Spencer, maybe Turner. Um, And the thing that, and we talked a little bit about this during the game. The part that kind of gets a little maddening is you just, there's, you gotta, it's hard to lean in to what this team is offensively, right? Like this was no one's design. It's no one's, no one wants Northwestern to have one operational guard right now in Pat Spencer, but you have to try to leverage the size. And if it means dragging basketball back to the 1980s or wherever, you've got to do it. All of the analytics, all of the big things basketball is doing right now, 
we don't have the personnel to do those things. And if it means playing ugly, it means, you know, working things down low. I think, Scuzz, we talked about this, but one of the things that's been bothering us, I mean, if you compare, yes, Garza is, Ryan Young is not the player Garza is. Someday, maybe we don't know. Um, But you have two guys roughly the same size. One team really needing to rely on a size-based lineup. And Garza took nine more shots than Young did in this game. And I just look at that as kind of emblematic of Collins having difficulty finding a way to take the lineup we're forced to use here and at least offensively utilize the things that might make it effective. Well, he just seems overmatched offensively in general. I mean, this seems like it's it's a burgeoning theme, right? Um, you know, there were there was the when when he had Brian McIntosh, when he had a dominant guard, um, a ball dominant guard who who could who could drive and shoot the three, and then he had pieces around him. He knew what to do in that situation. Uh, but a lot of those games boiled down to like just put it in BMAC's hands and see what happens, right? Like. This is this is the one place where where I wish the spirit of Bill Carmody would would inhabit Chris Collins for ten minutes a game to um Prince, you know Princeton to, offense it up. What are you talking about? No, just this... like like design a play, like design a play. Because <laughs> um, it's it's not Collins's forte. I think he's he's probably missing um, assistant coaches that have left that maybe maybe took some of that 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 load in, in years past as well. But um, it's just not his forte. And I think it's exacerbated since we, you know, since we didn't get uh, Latham, the, the, the presumed heir apparent to BMAC, that ball dominant guard. Um, He's, he's, he's kind of a little bit lost. And while the development of the program, you know, vis-a-vis big men has been pretty good overall, uh, you think about what he did with with Ola that that first that first year or two, um, the emergence of Derek Pardon, who who was spectacular. Ryan Young has looked great, um, but we 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 lose him, and it's not you know the Iowa game. You might look look at it and be like, well, he was he had five fouls, so of course he didn't play that much. But against Nebraska, he only played twenty two minutes against Nebraska, only had four shots, one personal foul. Like it's not it's not always foul trouble. We lose track of him. It, now maybe like you're getting Barron out on the floor more. We're trying to we're trying to see him, see what he can do. He's he's been all right, roughly you know thirty five to forty percent shooting, um, scoring in double figures both games. Pete Nance has really struggled a lot a lot of a uh, lot of usage for Nance, and and he's not um, converting a lot of those attempts. So there are, there are other problems here beyond just the design of the offense. But um, it does seem like a like a real big deficiency. And and man, I wish we could get like an offensive. I don't, I don't think basketball really works this way, but I wish we had an offensive coordinator. <laughs> it's, I I know, and it's it's rough because clearly Cop is the number one option. I mean, he's the leading scorer. He's the one guy who's putting up volume shots. Um, and you can't blame him. He's forcing things a little bit, but he's a guy who's got the ability to do some things and, um, and it's taken it upon himself, and that's good. I think a lot of us need to look in the mirror relative to Nance and be like, look, Nance needs to be on the floor, but the yeah. needs, reason he needs to be on the floor is because he's six nine with the length of a seven foot guy, um, and is is decent on defense and is long, and that's his value. It's not points. He's just not wearing that hat. It's been two years now. Um, but I, again, like the the frustration for me though is okay. We know that Spencer, 
if you look at his numbers, you'd be like, well, what's up with this guy's usage? He's running hot and cold. It's like, Pat Spencer, look, he can play a game like Nebraska and have out. A team like Iowa can just double him, like, all the time. Like, we have one guard right now. Like, I don't blame Spencer if at times he feels like he's getting strangled out there. Like, it's, like, that's so much load for one guy to carry in his only year of college basketball. But young. It was either the Nebraska game or the Iowa game. I didn't have a chance to turn it on until the second half. I looked at the box score. I saw that he had something like three attempts. I watched him catch the ball in the low block, back in with high intensity, and turn and execute a baby hook for a bucket like he did it rolling out of bed. And I was like, what is going on here? How is that not replicable? Why are we not trying to replicate that? Why am I not looking, and if if it's because he's a redshirt freshman, why am I not looking at a box score and seeing, oh, darn, Ryan Young was 3 for 12 tonight. Well, growing pains. We haven't seen him have anywhere kind of those attempts in weeks. Yeah, and I'm just against, kinda... against Iowa, he was 3 for 5, but one of those three was a three-pointer. So, you know, why is Ryan Young taking threes? Right, well, and I know. Well, we we know that this offense, like, effectively was run through Pardon for the better part of two years, right? Right, and I know, like, part of that I know, like, was Garza getting to Young in this game, and Young picked up fouls. He got in foul trouble early, but it's not the just the Iowa game. It's like the Nebraska yeah, it's been a game. Theme. It said it's been a theme. Like he's not getting the usage, and again, you watch the guy, and yeah, okay, he's a little raw, but he's enormous, and his energy level is really high. Um, and I, it's like we all remember a guy like Derek Pardon who was exhibiting the same characteristics early on. And it's like you, you've, especially when you're ostensibly searching for something, um, going big and, and trying to work a two man game or a triangle system or something. Again, it's like just trying to, to find a way to say, all right, well, like this game, it's Ryan Young's show. Let's get him touches and we'll see what happens. Um, you know, you, well, you, want, the, you, you want to see something different. The one liability is that his free throw percentage is not is not spectacular. He's shooting, you know, roughly sixty six percent on the year. Um, it's not it's not horrific. We've we've certainly seen worse for anyone who was around <laughs> for anyone who was around when uh, when Michael Thompson transferred to Northwestern from Duke and we got a, a McDonald's All American and we all went ballistic. What was that? But like two thousand four, roughly. Um, right. And he and he came in and just had this this air of leadership and confidence in a game where I, I believe we either upset or almost upset Michigan State and everyone was just going gaga and then it turned out that he was incapable of hitting free throws and every team just fouled him every time he touched the ball for the rest of the season. It was, <laughs> it was kind of a disaster. Um, so Ryan Young's not that, right? Uh, and, and, and Pardon had his, had his problems with free throw shooting, but that it, it is an area where you know, you start to go to him a lot and teams are going to start to revert to that. And, and it, and it, it, it could be, it could be painful in the, in the latter half of games. But I, at the same time, like at this stage, like wh- why not? Like give the kid a shot. Right. And, and to your point, John, like he, his, his energy, he executes, um, if nothing else, you know, make it obvious that he's an option so that you force them to defend him tightly. And, and maybe you, you, you create a little bit of, of extra space for somebody else. Right. And I, you know, it's the same, the, the 
other part of the problem, right? Like the reverse is like look at the line against Iowa, five of seventeen for three from three point for Northwestern. You can look at that and be like, that's a rough night shooting the ball. Yeah, you're gonna see a lot of those. There's not gonna be any hand down man down when other teams are playing Northwestern because all of their guys are faster. So the other teams are just gonna go man and just face guard these guys out at the three and be like, yeah, like I'm going to count on Robbie Barron and Pete Nance not blowing by me. So, because, so it's that kind of thing. So it's like, you can't, like, I get it. Like the game is not what it was. Like teams want to shoot threes. Northwestern is no different. We want to spread the ball. We want to do those things, but that's basically out the window. Um, At least, you know, at the bare minimum until Bowie gets back. And you've, you've got to find another way. Like threes, this is not that team. Um, it's not a team that can spread you out, force you to face guard guys, um, you know, and then blow guys off the dribble. Like we just don't have that kind of team. You got to find ways, like I said, right. Get comfortable in tight spaces, work it into the big guys. Yeah. And, and make it a move. So, you know, again, the flip side is hopefully because this team is not burdened with the pressure of competing for conference, anything this year that we'll see some more experimentation, but you know, the other thing is, we've talked about this, but, in, you know, when you think about individual performances with a lot of these guys, especially with Young, um, keep in mind that this is just a mad scientist team, that we're trying to do it out there with one guard, and he has less than a year of college basketball under his belt. So um, it's hard to say what this team is beyond that. Ideally, we get some chances for some individual guys to grow and shine and, and you know, think long-term. I mean, hopefully we can start seeing a better percentage shots. I mean, you know, Cats shot 36% uh, overall against Iowa, 39.7% against Nebraska. I mean, it helps that Nebraska is terrible and only shot 31%. But, you know, you get like Iowa shot 47% from the floor. And yeah, 45% from three. Uh, Cats shot, you know, 29.4% from three. So, you know, we got, we got to figure out how to make shots. And, you know, I, somehow, I just, like, you got to manufacture something. I just want to mention, too, that the core group of guys, Nance, Barron, Cop, Young, Spencer, and Turner, are playing their asses off out there. Like, it just, it's, it's common sense, but it bears mentioning just because, again, this team, as it's currently constructed, running the offense that is currently, is just doomed to... It's such an uphill climb. And again, this team fought their way in that Iowa game for into the second half in a game where Iowa was dominating the turnover margin, was shooting the lights out, had a guy absolutely dominating in the low block and behind the arc in Garza... Um, and Northwestern still was there straight up hustle defense and rebounds and effort plays and say that for these guys. Remember, there are a lot of young guys out there and they are really giving it their all and that matters and it will matter, um, if all of these guys ever get the chance to be part of, you know, a complete team. And and another thing to remember, I, I trying, I don't think we talked about the Indiana game. Uh, last week, but I know we'd mentioned it was coming, but a four point loss in Bloomington, you know, a game where, you know, the Cats had a lead 
uh, and you know it, it got away from them late. But like, cats were in that game the entire way. And oh man, cats really should have won that game. Yeah, that, that was that was a rough ending, and that felt like. Um, there's been a lot of talk about like this team kind of struggling at the end of games when they're, when they're kind of close. Th- this was a little bit different. This felt like a game that they blew one that they really, really should have had. And they struggled with turnovers. And I think Indiana hit a late three. I just, just rough, rough, rough stuff. And if you're, lo- if you're looking for any silver lining along the same, you know, if you're looking and saying, well, shoot, the Nebraska games off the schedule, like what else do we have? I mean, with this just, ridiculously constructed team if you you know in the same vein as what scuzz just said it does bear mentioning that the big 10 is kind of a mess this year um you've got michigan state is the only team with only one conference loss you saw how northwestern played against michigan state like michigan state is not a world beater out there and then you got everyone else with at least two conference losses um it's it's not a murderer's row in the big 10 this year are most of these teams clearly better than Northwestern? Yeah, obviously. But still, you catch the right team on the right night, etc. You know, we get Bowie back. That would make a big difference. But, you know, they're night to night. There are chances something could happen. And again, just watching this team, you know, you won't get a chance to watch a basketball team constructed like this probably ever again. So for whatever that's worth, uh, watch them and see if they can make something happen. Yeah, these guys are going to shock someone. Uh, somewhere along the way, you know, they're going to win a game that no one gives them any chance of winning. And like that Indiana game was right there for the taking. Uh, you mentioned that the Michigan State game back in December was right there. So like we're we're close in a number of these games and it's going to turn. It, it I mean, the season's not going to turn around. It, it's you know going to be a rough season and, and we all know that. Um, but we're we're gonna we're gonna bite someone that is not expecting to to get bit by Northwestern. Um, briefly, want to talk a little bit about kind of the future of Northwestern. Um, you know, we obviously the uh, the Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, recruiting saga continue not not necessarily saga, but you know the fact that he has ties to Northwestern. Obviously, his dad went to Northwestern, was a coach at Northwestern. Um, yeah, he is what, like the number one or number two high school recruit in the country, something like that. And, you know, you look at his recruiting, uh, interests, uh, places he's looking to go, obviously like Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, like all of the top schools that you would expect, uh, the number one, number two recruit in the country to, to be looking at, but also has Northwestern in that mix. I mean, he's, he's doing his due diligence, at least with Northwestern. Um, you know, hearing some of the quotes he's been giving makes it seem like a long shot at best, like he would come to Northwestern, but you know, he hasn't ruled it out yet. It sure helped a lot if his dad was still coaching. Sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's not going to go play in Milwaukee. Is he like for his dad? I don't think so. I mean, he, he, he went out of the way to say, and by the way, we should mention that we are, you know, lifting rivals was able to have someone see him at I think like a national tournament or something and asked him a bunch of bottles. I don't I don't believe it was Louie. Um but uh 
someone mentioned and, and talked to him a little bit all the schools and he mentioned Wisconsin Milwaukee went out of the way to kind of talk his dad up and was basically online and was like look dad's not recruiting me but I sure value him and etc but then you look at the way he talks about Duke and etc um, one of the things that I think we thought was interesting and I'll pivot to, to Scuzz in a second because Scuzz has kind of the second half of this is the interesting looks at Northwestern and kind of the perception of Northwestern hoops right now. And I think if we rewind, let's say, to last spring when uh, Chris Collins first landed the Joe Bamisil verbal, which, of course, didn't end up working out. Bamisil flipped to Virginia Tech. But I think when that first happened, um, kind of a lot of our reactions was kind of like, I mean, happy, of course, elated at the time, but also like, Wow, given like everything that's happening within the program right now, wins and losses, etc., it's amazing that Collins, who, you know, for a while was on that run of like recruiting guys at a really high level and then those guys not really producing at the level that we were looking for them to produce at, and there was yet was still able to land someone like that and asking questions and kind of I think batted around some hypotheses like Look for a high school kid who was in school at least last year, etc. Um, you know, even though we feel like it's been light years since Northwestern made the dance, that maybe there's a little bit of a narrative there that's like, look, Northwestern just made the tournament for the first time, and now they're looking to take it to the next step. Well, you look at Baldwin's comments here, um, and you get this kind of feeling that the bloom is off the rose on that, at least a little bit. Um, Baldwin, this is the quote I'm quoting from Rivals. They see me as a guy who can come in and really turn around their program. They've gone through one or two years where they've hit a slump after they made the NCAA tournament when my dad was there. I think that Northwestern's really coming after me as a guy that can come in and make an impact and be that guy that when they associate Northwestern, they associate my name with Northwestern too. So... He's looking at it from the perspective of like, look, this program is not in a good place right now. I could be a guy who could come in and really turn it around, which A, yes, you could, young Mr. Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> I I couldn't encourage you enough. Yes, that's all true. Come do that thing for us, please. Um, but but as an aside, right, It's he's got clear eyes on where Northwestern is right now. And he's not thinking, hey, this team just made the tournament next step. He's thinking, like, this team's mired in a slump and they're looking at me to help them out of it. Um, which is, again, speaks to the program and speaks to, you know, high school kids now are not thinking, no longer thinking Northwestern fresh off attorney birth. Like, that's fading away. And now it's it's... You start looking, you're like, okay, so there are the facilities um, there. You know, you got these new facilities. There is that, you know, you still have that recent thing. You still do have Collins. You certainly, if you're a big recruit, have the chance to play right away. And then the other big thing that's on a lot of people's minds this week, um, the Vic Law situation, which I'll pass to Scuzz. Well, before we get there, I think it's important to note, like, the I, I agree. The bloom is definitely off the rose. At the same time, like, North Northwestern's recruiting profile has never been better. Oh like, yeah, like, like I mean, class geez. after class after class is building on the previous one. Like C- Coach Collins has never had problems getting high level recruits to come to Northwestern. I mean, to lose Joe Bamisil and immediately turn around and and you know add Ty Berry to the class again, we were all amazed. Like yeah, he's he's pounding the ground to recruit. There's no doubt about that. And now, and this team right now is one of the youngest teams in the country. I mean, it, it's a very young team, and like this experience will only help 
uh, improve. Well, so this is like what to me. What's interesting is is Baldwin's comments are like so clearly mirror the things Vic Law was saying six years ago or seven years ago, whenever he got you know whenever he became like Northwestern's highest rated recruit ever, right? And so, you know, I, I there there is something to be said for the Collins era relative to the talent that Northwestern is bringing in, playing playing with the big boys um, in terms of, of real players, real basketball talent. And, and the trajectory is, is hard to argue with again on the recruiting front. It has not, it has not morphed into talent on the court. One thing I'm, I was excited about. So, so the, the news around Vic law that, that John alluded to is that Vic law will be playing in his first actual NBA game tonight. Um, in fact, actually Orlando and, and the Lakers are playing right now. So, uh, Vic Law ha- has signed a a um, contract with the Magic, with the Orlando Magic. He's not gotten on the on the floor yet tonight, and maybe he won't. Who knows? But he is he's he's playing at the top level now. It's a two way deal where he's you know he's been with their their G League team, and they had some injuries, uh, and they've they've pulled him up to the NBA. He was averaging eighteen point seven points per game in the G League. Um, he was shooting uh, just just north of 40 percent um like he's he's looked really good as a pro and i am really hopeful that this opportunity affords um some visibility and some some uh some notoriety for him in part because i think that would be a huge leap forward for northwestern in terms of demonstrating that a high level guy came to northwestern performed here and has gotten to the league and has has had some success there um john you and i were, were going back and forth a little bit earlier today over text around like yeah reggie hearn has, has had kind of a similar deal he's, he's he's not in the in the in the nba right now he's still playing in the g league he, he had a, a handful of games i think with washington is that right detroit detroit detroit, uh, detroit, yeah. detroit that's right um but the difference and obviously, there, you know, his play with with Team USA, yeah, with Team USA, USA as well for sure. And, and the, the difference there to me, for whatever reason, is just that like like a Reggie had had that success, and now it's kind of it's kind of petered off. Um, but he also wasn't a huge recruit coming to NU. I think he was one of these guys that had an injury in high school, and Northwestern stuck with him, and other and other schools didn't didn't, if I'm remembering it right. But he didn't have the pedigree of, of law, and and if if law is able to to put together you know even if it's a small career at the professional level um i mean the 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 only other player that northwestern has graduated in the nba was evan eschmeyer and that was years ago and when the league was a very very different thing and if you were 610 and and could shoot a basketball like you had a job for (laughs) for a lot of years right um so or or however tall he was 611 seven foot i don't know but um Point being, this is this is a cool opportunity. It's really exciting for Law, for sure. Orlando's not a good team. You would expect to see him get some playing time. Like I said, there have been some injuries that that should presumably uh, open some some space or opportunity for him. Um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think you know, like the Daily had a story this week about just everything that Scuzz was just talking about and really celebrating it but but also kind of written from a perspective of like this is the moment right here like this is a big thing and you know you were saying scuz we were kind of going back and forth like i was to to what you were just saying which is like i don't think this is really the moment right he needs to play he needs to stick on a roster um 
And then, you know, it had me thinking, so like, what is the value of that? Uh, right. I mean, it's exactly how does that quantify, you know, let's say he does stick on a roster. To what extent is that a selling point for Collins to be able to sell to recruits? My hunch is that nothing trumps a winning and be the quality of facilities, right? Um, but at the same time, I, I will also certainly um, surrender the fact that in basketball, so much can be based on one player, right? I mean, Northwestern, we've got more guys in the NFL, I think, than we've ever had. You've got the Green Bay Packers are playing in the NFC Championship game coming up with four Wildcats on the roster, the most of any team. I think they have four guys from Northwestern, four guys from Mississippi State, and no one else has more than like one or two guys on the Packers roster. And I feel like with football, even, you know, it's really about you need a lot of guys in the league, right? And even then, I'm not really sure, you know, if is if that's a big part of the recruiting pitch for Northwestern. Maybe, maybe it is, but, you know, I I would imagine that, let's say, having four guys playing on the Packers in the NFC Championship game is still not nearly as big of a deal as if guys think they can compete for Big Ten titles and that practice facility out on the lake. Um, but on the flip side, so much of basketball relative to football can come down to just one player in so many ways. And I think to your points, guys, if you've got Vic Law and suddenly Vic Law is making, you know, a sticking in the league, but making any kind of notable contribution, um, the visibility of even just one guy in basketball can be so great that, that it certainly could be an asset. So again, I think obviously that's just one more reason we're all really hoping that Vic can can maybe become a valuable 3 and D guy, you know, work himself up to a 7th, 8th man on yep. the roster yep. um, and just stick, stick with the team. I think that could be a big thing. I mean, it would it would, it would be a moment if he was starting a game. That yeah, would, right, right that now would be it, a moment. Right now it looks like he's not dressed tonight. Yeah, so. I saw that as well. It looks like he's still like I'm and well, I'm sure he's he's still learning the the sets and all that sort of stuff. Um, I do, I do want to call out one thing just that you alluded to John, like the, the, so Northwestern is on the list of, I think it's the, like the 10 schools with the, with the most players um, on the uh, conference final teams. So I think Northwestern has four. It's, it's, and, and maybe they're all, maybe it's just all the Packers. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is the, the, yeah. the four Packers. Okay. So, but, but, they're, but they're like, there are ten teams, right? Um, and and at, at the top of that list is Ohio and uh, is Iowa and Penn State, each with seven players uh, uh, remaining on on the NFL rosters. And uh, Northwestern's right in there, there in the mix with four. And I tell you what, I I don't like the Packers, but it is really fun um, to 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 hear them talking about Tyler Lancaster blowing up a play or seeing Dean Lowry coming around the the edge. I mean, just really really good memories, really fond memories there. Um, and just to put to, to put a button on this, I saw Fadi Adenabo um, put out a, a a photo on Instagram of himself with Lowry and Lancaster and uh, Dan Vitale, presumably after the last Green Bay Minnesota game. What was that like? Week sixteen, I think. Um, uh, the the Monday night game, right? Yeah, the Monday night game. So um, there's just like that's something we've celebrated certainly along the road, and I think it. it you know, I, I think you're right, Sam. I. Well, really, I think every individual player has different has different desires um, going to school. I don't I don't think NFL success is a is a rubber stamp guarantee to get players. I think different guys have different things that they want. 
the most realistic aspect of the last NCAA college football game that I uh, played, which I want to say is like 2013 maybe, um, was that when you were recruiting players, you had to pick a theme to recruit against. And uh, I always found that really, really, really fun to try and figure out what what theme the the guy was after um sometimes they give you hints sometimes they wouldn't but i think that's true in real life as well and and you know for the players that do want to come to northwestern and, and play in those facilities and compete in the big 10 there's um certainly some where nfl aspirations are, are high on their list as well yeah i was juxtaposing you know mentally with a team like alabama right where obviously i mean this is totally apples and oranges northwestern and alabama for football but with Alabama, it's clear whether you've watched the documentaries or anything, et cetera, that, you know, Alabama is, you know, a central part of their pitch to recruits is you will play in the NFL. And that's a big part of it. And they've got any kind of data to be like, oh, yeah, we see you as so-and-so. He played your position. He played for X amount of years. You know, he was here, redshirted, played two years, and then went to the NFL. And here's the round he was drafted in. And we can give you X amount of those guys. And we can try to, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but we see that as a potential path for kind of you. And that is like what they're selling is like, come, I mean, yes, it's Alabama. And if you grow up in Alabama, et cetera, but for the national, you know, recruiting pitch of Alabama, a ton of that is based on like, we see this as your job and we are preparing you to make money in this down the road. And, you know, I think it doesn't matter how many guys Northwestern's putting in the NFL. I don't think that's ever going to be a central part of Northwestern's pitch, but, but it is, but having a bunch of guys doing, it does certainly give you that thing. And in basketball, to bring it back one more time, it really only does take one guy. If it's law and law can make any kind of impact or stick on a roster, it puts that you know, feather in the cap to be like, oh, and just so you know, you can follow that path to the pros. That's probably not your number one priority at Northwestern, but you can see that that is an option. Uh, it's good to see that the pipeline exists, at least, right? You know, it, Northwestern isn't going to be the destination for these one and done guys. Um, you know, Zion Williamson is not coming to Northwestern. Um, nor, nor, nor should he. Right. Frankly. No, that, that's that's true. That's very true. But, you know, to, to be able to show that the pipeline is there for, for someone come in, kick ass for four or five years, and, you know, there is a chance to make it to the NBA. I, I, that I think is, you know, can be a huge selling point. Plus, you know, you're getting the Northwestern education to go along with it. Yeah, totally. Uh, speaking of someone sticking around for a little bit of Northwestern education. <laughs> someone who's got log, logged plenty of years of Northwestern education. <laughs> Sammy, I applaud you. That might be your best transition ever. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I, I give most of the credit to Stranahan's Whiskey. Uh, Colorado's famous. But uh, in any case, TJ Green was awarded uh, sixth year of eligibility. So he'll be back next year. Um, further clouding the Northwestern quarterback room. Um, I, I mean, so, and this is sort of what we're, what I think all three of us are struggling with. It's like, yeah, we, we, you know, he was definitely a pos, he's a positive force for the cats. You know, he was going to be the starter or play a lot of the, the season last year. And obviously injury took that away. And then the season went the way the season went. Um, you know, with him coming back, now all of a sudden you've got four guys who've started, uh, in this past or 
started or played extensively uh, coming back into a brand new offense with Mike Bajakian coming in. So it, it just, you know, the waters are muddied. And, you know, you got to think like someone is, you know, someone's feathers are going to be ruffled. Someone's going to the transfer portal. You got to like, think. I, I, like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm exceedingly confident somebody's going to the transfer portal. I think, like, I think you're right, Sam. Like, like by all accounts, um, TJ is a leader for this team, a positive force, like you said, a voice in the locker room, um, a a player who is who has grown up in the game of football. If you think about his dad, Trent Green, in the NFL for all those years, like he is, uh, he he's someone that I think in general people want to have on the team. I think where we all struggle is that um, what we've seen from him thus far on the field, you know, can he execute the offense? Can can he make smart decisions? Can he um, make the right calls at the line and put players where they need to be? Like, absolutely. Does he have a strong enough arm to really threaten Big Ten defenses? That That's where we just, we don't think that that's the case. And the, the part of our, analysis of what happened in 2019 and it's really hard to parse given that this all falls under the the, the ownership and totalage of Mick McCall is that there was a, a a confusion and a and a um a like the decision between Hunter and TJ was never really made and that probably stunted some of Hunter's growth we'll never know how much of that was influenced by the things that he was dealing with that Hunter was dealing with off the field um, I, we, we might after another year come to the conclusion that maybe Hunter's just not that great at football anymore for whatever reason that he just hasn't developed at the college level like people thought he would. But, um, but this certainly adds an element of, of murkiness and uncertainty, another element of murkiness and uncertainty to the offense in the QB room. And there's a lot of months between now and the season. We'll see how it all shakes out. But I, I, like on one hand, yes, it's great to have TJ as part of this team because of the intangibles he brings. Um, I don't know that I want him to be the starting quarterback, though, and, and I, I don't I don't mean that meanly. It's just I like I, I worry about his ability to really attack other teams. I agree, and and you know there might be people saying, well, look, like Mike Bajakian played half a season last year with a walk on quarterback, and it's like that's true. But I think a guy with a little bit of a stronger arm. And remember, this t- this offense that Bajakian ran at BC last year, they run the ball a lot. They also throw deep a lot. And again, this is uh, everything Scuzz said was true. And it's also like, it's really important to be like, look, it's not like none of this is TJ Green's fault. He absolutely yeah. should have petitioned for a sixth year. Oh, the for poor sure. guy did everything right and then got hurt. Like if he comes and wins the starting job, good on you, man. And if you don't, I'm still so glad you were able to play the sport you love for one additional year and probably you're knee deep in a master's degree from Northwestern right now. So in six <laughs> years, you're going to be, you're going to have a degree from, you know, an undergrad and probably a master's from Northwestern as well, which is fantastic. Like that's, that's great. But right. I mean, I, I think, you know, Mike bajakian has got some pressure on him right now. And I think he's got a fan base that I think one of the first things we'll be looking for from him is to, to make some sense of this and, and figure things out and be like, look, 
this is this is the order that I'm approaching this, etc. And maybe TJ Green is right, you know, is right in the middle of that. Maybe he's at the head of the line. We don't really know. But right, to Scuzz's point, again, and, I and we not- to be honest, we won't know until the first game of the season. Right. And on top of all this, like the transfer portal, like Scuzz said, is absolutely open and it runs in both directions. Like we don't know. I mean, we haven't Northwestern hasn't landed any of the big guys who had come into the portal. Um, any of the big names, I think they've, most of them have transferred to other big schools. I mean, it's always possible that another, you know, name comes in. Certainly a name could, could go out the other way. And I think you've got probably guys like an Andrew Marty, right? Who, if he's starting to feel toward as we get into summer, whatever, that he's not in the plans, even though he was the guy who finished off last season and had some run of success, then maybe he starts looking. And again, this is all pure speculation, but it's all just speaking to how, just like Scott said, how unsettled this whole thing is. And again. Well, one one thing I think it's probably worth talking about now, because it's, it's pretty clear he's not coming to Northwestern. And that's a name that we've touched about in the past. Um, and that we discussed a little bit with Adam Rittenberg as well, and that's Anthony Brown, who was Boston College's QB last year uh, under Bajakian. He entered the transfer portal. Um, you know, obviously, he, I, so he he got injured during the course of the season and uh, entered the transfer portal. Then the the staff that BC has has hired to replace the Steve Adazio staff is ar- arguably one of the best. Um, coach acquisitions of the offseason in my opinion getting Jeff Halfley uh, out of Ohio State to take over there Anthony Brown is now reconsidering staying at BC he is also in the mix at Miami and Georgia and a couple other of of you know big big time places so um it does not appear that Northwestern is on his radar I don't I do not ascribe any um feelings from that to to Mike Bajaki and I, I think I think that would be um conjecture uh, and and th- there's nothing to indicate that he had any issues with uh, with his offensive coordinator Steve Adazio, the former head coach at Boston College, is a well known like player agitator. Like, well, and and Anthony Brown's numbers were fantastic under Bajakian until he got hurt. So I don't yeah. think he. Uh... Yeah. So I like, but but that is what you know. We were talking about that as as a a, a high possibility that he would come with Bajakian into Northwestern, and that is. That is off the table. I think. I think more likely than not, we have our quarterback room for next year. The question to me is if it's going to be four guys or three. Yep, for sure. And we we will have to wait and see. The the one name I, I see still in the transfer portal that I I wouldn't be surprised if he came would be KJ Costello. I I I mean I don't think he's coming, but if he did come, that would be probably the the least shocker. Of, of any transfers coming into Northwestern. I'm that's, we don't have time to deal to, to, to dovetail into that right now, but I'm so surprised that, um, he's not going to the NFL. There were all these, remember going into the Stanford game at the beginning of the year, there was all these conversations about how he's the prototypical NFL QB and this, that, and the other thing. Like it, it to me, it, it screams the, um, the, uh, who was the quarterback at Wisconsin, the horny brick situation where, yeah. Uh, Alex Hornibrook like, absolutely was expected to come back as the quarterback of Wisconsin. All of a sudden, is transferring, and he had the the weirdness with his concussion and everything else. And I I don't know, it just it's a weird situation. I I I, I my my money is on is on our 
no additional transfer quarterbacks coming to Northwestern. That's where my money is at right now. And, and I agree. I agree with you. I just, you know, as, as we're thinking about it, the, you know, that's one name that I could potentially see coming. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but it, it is a possibility. Um, we should probably talk a little bit about this game on Monday night. Um, the national championship, LSU Clemson. Um, what a game. I mean, Cincinnati is going to be so excited. And it's because you could probably speak to this, but, uh, Joe Burrow going into Cincinnati next year, presumably, although it's uh, happening. There, there was a, there was a giant billboard, um, on my way to, to daycare to pick up the kids this afternoon, uh, a, a giant digital board, digital billboard, something to the effect of like Athens, Ohio, thanks Joe Burrow <laughs> and his picture and everything. Um, here in Cincinnati, I don't know, like, like Athens is, is on the other side of the state. Um, so I, like, I, I, it would be, it would be stunning and ludicrous if they didn't, um, draft him in, in part just because of the, the storylines, what this will do for the excitement around their franchise. I, I joked on Twitter, they're going to sell, you know, one and a half million jerseys before the 10th pick in the draft is even announced. Um, this this team, the Bengals, their franchise has been a laughing stock for what three decades at least, um, and they've had moments, you know, like the Carson Palmer, um, Chad Johnson, uh, T.J. Hushmanzada era, where you know they had a high powered offense and they were a lot of fun, you know, but they always flamed out early in the playoffs. Um, I just like. Like they, they are, they are a regular joke in Cincinnati. Um, and I, I even know some people that are pretty close with the team and, and that's their perspective as well. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's rough. Um, and the idea that this guy who just looks so incredible and, and arguably had the best season a quarterback has ever had in college, um, is, is, is coming here next year. Uh, is absolutely you know galvanizing and exciting for the whole city. I think, and I mean, you look at his resume and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's as good of a season as you've ever seen. It's really weird because I kind of have two main feelings about th- this game and the two teams involved. And first of all, you know, Clemson, unbelievable football team. I think my takeaway from this one, um, despite how close that Ohio State game was, is especially when you factor in the recent pedigree, Clemson was every bit the number two team in the country. A fantastic football team who came out and, you know, based on the aforementioned pedigree, gave LSU everything they had, especially early on, jumped on the game. And at the end of the day, the problem was they were playing one of the probably five to ten best teams any of us will ever see. Um, That LSU team this year, you know, people will remember the 2019 LSU team that played in the 2020 championship game up there with 2001 Miami, with the mid-90s Nebraska teams, which are my standard for greatest football teams I've ever seen. Um, This team was, you know, for all intents and purposes, perfect. To ask a team to be that good on offense and that good on defense at the same time was was amazing. On the flip side of it, and and this is what's kind of weird. Again, not to take away from the the um, delirious celebration of our friend Chris uh, at winning cures everything, um, who's a massive LSU fan, and this was a life moment for him. And and good on you, Chris. 
with Burrow leaving immediately and Joe Brady immediately going to the Carolina Panthers, there's this feeling of like a little bit of an ephemeral nation nature to this um, because LSU has always recruited like gangbusters. They've always been stacked with talent. And the issue was always that they were having trouble scoring points and that that was always the thing that helped them back. And then Joe Burrow came in and this Joe Brady, Joe Burrow combination just lit the world on fire. And now both of those guys are gone and I want them to be able to keep it up. But on the flip side, you've got Clemson who can look and be like, I mean, how many, all of a sudden, what is it? Four national title games they've played in recently? Five? I've even lost count. I mean, they're suddenly they are, can, they can tell recruits, look, perennially, we are here. This is where we live. And they still have one more year of Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, beyond that, they're still building. So again, it's like, I, I feel better about Clemson long-term right now just because I feel like suddenly they are building this level of dominance year in and year out. This LSU team was one of the very best I've ever seen. I just don't know if they'll be able to replicate it. They, they will not be able to achieve the same heights, right? Like like a season like this comes together with you know some, some intangibles and, and some luck and some cases where one plus one equals three, right? Like they're they, – and and the loss of Joe Brady, in in particular, I think I think hurts Steve Enzinger. I I, I believe is staying. Um, yeah, he, he's he's sticking around who, as, far, who was, as far as I know. Right, who was the play caller? I so I liken this more to when um, I mean you think about Alabama, right? Alabama never had a dominant passing offense. They had a great running game, right? But never had a dominant passing offense until Lane Kiffin went there. Lane Kiffin is long gone, and they still have an amazing um, passing offense. I think I think this is a case where LSU has unlocked. I mean, for so long, and 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 frankly, I I think a lot of this falls at the feet of Les Miles. Like for so long, they wanted to run and operate in a certain way. And Defense first, and then run the ball. Yes, and and there are head coaches that, regardless who they get as their offensive coordinator. Regardless of how, and, and I'm terrified about Northwestern in, as I as these words come out of my mouth. But regardless of who their offensive coordinator is, they want things to operate in a certain order and in a certain way, and that limits what can be done in in the offensive sets. Um, and we've seen it in a lot of different places and a lot of different times. And LSU was one of those places. And I think Ed Ogeron very explicitly was like, "We need to change this." saw what was happening at Alabama, saw what was happening at Clemson, saw what, frankly, Auburn had done at times with their offense, right? So um, you're, say, you're saying a stubborn, burly, blue-collar coach <laughs> decided. <sighs> Has Fitz ever taken his shirt off and, and offered to <laughs> wrestle a recruit? Um, no, like, but, but I, I, like, these things fell in his lap, but once you've done it, it's so much easier to continue to operate at least open-mindedly right and and to like if they try to create the same formula like that's going to be trouble but basically joe brady came in and taught them how this how the new orleans saints run their offense and showed them how to do it and taught their qb how to do it in one year mind you and this gives them a a, a formula to go forward with it right like the, like there's a reason that that coaches leave their marks on places when 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 they go somewhere right like like you look at what you look look at kevin wilson everywhere he's gone gone he's had he's had an impact indiana no longer has kevin wilson 
They have a defense-minded head coach right now in Tom Allen, and yet their offense this last year was was really, really good and dynamic and multiple. So I I, I think it's if 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 any if I'm being bullish, I'm I think LSU has the opportunity to capture not their not their level of success and dominance, but their position as the alpha dog in the SEC West. I, I believe they have the opportunity to steal that from Alabama, just as the Saban mystique. You know, every year it gets that he doesn't win another championship. It gets a little bit harder to retain that mystique, and the reality is, like that guy isn't going to coach forever. Right, um, and, and yet they still brought in the number one quarterback for next year. Yeah, I. But you know, like Tua was incredible. Jalen Hurts was a great quarterback. Like, I mean, we'll we'll, we'll see. Like, like Alabama is going to be right there. I'm, I'm just I'm thinking more like I, in, you know three to four th- three four five six years. Sure, sure, sure. sure. You know, <sighs> LSU has has found a new mentality and and has embraced it fully and. I don't see them going away from that and suddenly becoming the ground and pound defense only team that issues throwing the ball despite the, the the plethora of talent that they have at wide receiver. Maybe that's the other point is like LSU has always had ludicrous talent at wide receiver. I, I think a lot because of just the people that grow up in the state that they're in. Um, they have a ton of athletic talent to tap into locally and, like they finally unlocked it. I I just want to say to your point. Next season, LSU will be the standard bearer in the greatest SEC West season the world has ever seen. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, have true. Defending champion LSU, not Alabama, followed immediately by an Alabama team desperate to suddenly be you know reclaim their mantle as with a, number a one big old chip nation. on their shoulder when was the last well, time you saw alabama ex- with a big ex- old chip on their shoulder exactly well, um, well well and worth mentioning a lot of what happened to alabama this year was just like an insane number of injuries on defense right and right. then two got hurt right yeah and, and then, two got hurt and then followed immediately by an auburn team that beat alabama and lost to lsu by three uh followed <laughs> by Followed by, uh, let me just say as a preamble, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M, an afterthought. An afterthought. (laughs) Uh, Because the Egg Bowl, oh oh my god, Uh, you have Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, and is that Mike Leach's music at Mississippi State? (laughs) My Uh, god. SEC Media Days will be one of the greatest things ever. This who, who, I, who's coaching Arkansas this year? I don't even know. I I, I mean, poor, poor, poor Arkansas. I, I mean, seriously, we know that Bobby Petrino was just hired at Missouri State. Can't Arkansas read the tea leaves here? You couldn't bring Bobby back. If not now, <laughs> if, not to sit, if not to sit on the oh my god next to Lane Kiffin oh my and god. Mike Leach. Come on. Maybe it's all a ruse. Maybe, like, secretly they're waiting to just break. Maybe he'll ride in on his Harley. <laughs> uh, we can dream, but even oh if that God. doesn't happen, uh, the it is SEC media days. And the SEC West is just going to be glorious. And, I mean, to, to the larger point, too, I guess Clemson, 
in a weird way, is sort of your standard bearer of college football right now. And, you know, I mean, LSU would say no, but in terms of consistency, suddenly it's like Clemson playing for national titles every year. Um, and, and Ohio State's going to be right up there as well coming into next year. Right. I mean, it's just if you're it's it's great because this year it really feels like there's there's no legit. Well, I mean, a lot of people would say it's Clemson, but, you know, I mean, LSU is going to have something to say about that. Bama, it's it's going to be a lot of fun, obviously, a lot of time to talk. You can see we're already wishing we could turn the page that it was already August, but uh, we'll get there. But I mean, just going back to the game, it was it was really amazing to see how LSU struggled early. And then just turned it on to the next level and, and Clemson just couldn't get there. It was, that was really stunning to see, especially like late in the second quarter and then on the second half when just Clemson couldn't do anything and LSU was just moving the ball at will. Well, at the same time though, like, like Clemson got the ball back, what, early in the third quarter with, you know, down three with the chance to, to reclaim the lead and, like they weren't, they weren't out of it until I thought their second to last drive. Um, it certainly seemed like by by the fourth quarter that LSU could do whatever they wanted. But yeah, um, you know, I I I thought I thought Clemson did well, but like going into it, you know, the 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 thesis, and I can't remember if we talked about this or not, but just they didn't have the the dominant defensive line that they'd had in years past, and. I mean, when you lose the entire defensive line to the NFL, that's hard to yeah, replace. Yeah, that happens. Um, and then, you know, on the other side, the same thesis applied, but but LSU's defense really stepped up in the second half. And, and you know, Lawrence was out of sync. He started sailing balls. He hasn't been challenged in this way, frankly, since early in his freshman year, and I think that was probably a problem. Um, but the, the the poise of Joe Burrow, I thought, in the first quarter was incredible. You know, backed up against the goal line, um, things not going his way because of penalties and drops, and the guy's just unflappable. And, you know, once he gets a little bit of space, f- immediately figures out the, the, the Clemson, you know, blitzes and, and the way they're attacking with their, with their what, 3-1-7 three, three, or, yeah, something like that. Um defense where basically they were blitzing him from just crazy unpredictable angles and it was different on every play and there was you know uh it was it was nuts um but he figured it out and and moved forward and i just i'll be honest like my my prime takeaway from this game outside of just enjoying it fully um and also um i'm i'm no longer like a part-time closet LSU fan. Like I, I, I'm, I'm in love with LSU, just uh, everything that, that went on this year. And, and the fact that Thaddeus Thad- Moss was on the team, I didn't even realize it until the national championship <laughs> game, son of my absolute all time favorite football player and Randy Moss. Um, but I like watching, and this is, this is true for both teams. I don't think I've, I've, I've felt this way in years past as much as I did this, this year. And I think it's because of the offensive scheme, et cetera it felt like I was watching a different sport than the one I watched in the big 10 during the regular season, the speed and the athleticism and the, the ferocity. It just, it, it felt like watching a different sport. I don't know how to say it other, any other way, probably because the schemes were so far advanced and so, um, aggressive and pass heavy. And, and just the, the big 10 just doesn't, 
do that right now. Um, the teams that are athletic don't 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 go that route. I mean, Ohio State obviously is as close as we get, but um, that just that just was very very apparent to me for, for throughout the first three quarters of the game. Yeah, and you know, L, Alabama. I mean, so should I say Ohio State? Again, they played Clemson really, really tight, and we spent most of the season being like that team was so, so good. And and I think they really were. Like, I think Ohio State really was, you know, number three with a bullet in the country this year, and, and it felt like that they were, that it was these three teams for most of the season. But Clemson, you know, again, it is a little bit of that pedigree, like when you just don't lose for a long, long time. And boy, watching Lawrence, and it's just, you know, um, that guy just clearly had it you could you know see it in his eyes all the time that he's just never lost and he doesn't have that you know he doesn't have that thing he just thinks he's always going to win and Clemson's always going to win and they had that swagger and and it enabled them to really stay in that game um it is interesting though you know to talk about the speed and everything and and LSU put so much talent on the field and of course they got a guy like Chase who was like a monster recruit at wide receiver but you know it bears mentioning I mean Burrow a big but not huge quarterback recruit. And then you have guys like Edwards Allaire was a three-star recruit um, who was not a huge recruit. Justin Jefferson was a two-star recruit. Uh, part of the reason he was even at LSU is because he had multiple family members who had gone there. Um, in the right system, guys can really develop and blossom and succeed. And, you know, you can be blinded by all the speed and all the talent and everything that's going on out there. But just remember, like innovative thinking and the kind of concepts that Brady was bringing in and then things like that innovation can really make a lot of things happen too. And, you know, to bring it back to Northwestern, we're hoping to carve off a little slice of that for ourselves next year. Well, congratulations to LSU. Um, hell of a season. And, you know, it's, it's kind of sad to close the book on the 2019 uh, college football season. I mean, not from a Northwestern standpoint, but just as a college football season as a whole, um, you know, it's always a, a little sad to kind of close the book there and realize that there's a long way to go until the end of August uh, when we start up the 2020 season. But uh, we'll have plenty of talk about between now and then. Um, obviously, basketball still going on, men's and women's hoops. Uh, we've got softball and lacrosse coming up in the spring that are definitely going to be exciting. Uh, you know, very much looking forward to that. Um, you know, we look forward to our live, uh, NFL draft pod, which is always fun. Um, you know, last year we did that in conjunction with, uh, guys at Winning Cures Everything. I don't see why we wouldn't do that again this year. That was just a ton of fun. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. And uh, basically what I'm saying is, no need to unsubscribe. We got plenty of content coming from, coming up for you. Uh, so you know, please stay with us. Um, and, and if there's anything you want us to talk about or discuss or delve into, like shoot us a note, let us know. We are, we are open. Sure. And again, it's like, we've, we always have plenty of content. You guys have been with us for, you know, for any number of years within this decade that we've been doing this. I mean, we've kind of got our schedule, the way things are going, obviously, you know, it feels nice to get a little bit of a boost, not just from lacrosse, but, um, from women's softball right now to kind of get us through the the doldrums of of the late spring that gives us something to talk about. But 
I mean, you also, you guys know already it gets to be the spring and we start looking at our summer previews and already we're like looking to like lay out our schedule for those and, and start knocking those out. So, you know, football season comes very early for us within what we do, but right in, in the midst of that, or, you know, particular guests you'd be interested in or yeah, particular topics, etc. I mean, we've, we totally want to hear you guys thoughts and we know that there are a lot of you out there listening and uh, we'd love to hear what you want to hear. And spring ball is just right around the corner, too. I mean, we, cats always start at spring practice real early. So uh, be, be on the lookout for, for news and notes coming from there. What few news and notes we'll be able to glean from spring practice. But, you know, something to talk about, at least. Uh, anything else before we get out of here, boys? Oh, one last reminder, just because I feel like we've mentioned it a little bit every week. Um, the women's game, January 30th against Michigan, the home game. Um, I'm pretty much an official for that. I know, Scuzz, you're officially in as well, right? Lock, um, locked in, baby. Locked in. Um, I think there there's going to be quite the crowd, um, but definitely... You know, if you want to see the Westlot Pirates or any of anyone else is coming to that game and be a part of what should be just a raucous environment, get in on that. Um, and if you need us to point you in the right direction, you know, shoot us a text or, or uh, on Twitter or whatever, and we can point you to the right people. Or you could just buy tickets. But, I mean, uh, we are in for that January 30th game at Michigan. It should be an awesome time, so come join us. It's going to be a lot of fun, and fingers crossed I'll be able to be there as well. So we're still working on that. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.